You're listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book. Hello, I'm Nicholas Sperling, host of a social justice podcast. Today we're doing an episode on ageism, and I'm joined by Barbara Finley. Barbara, can you uh, introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a fat, old, white, cisgender, queer lawyer with disabilities. I grew up working class and was raised Christian in the prairies. And all of those aspects of my identity inform who I am and the work I do. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today to have this conversation about ageism. And to start with, would you like to tell us a little bit about your experiences with ageism? Sure. Um, At some point, somewhere along the line, my hair turned white. At some later point along the line, I was not so much working in the office as I used to be. So I wasn't so much located physically in a in a kind of designated workspace. And what began to happen to me, I noticed, was a, a phenomenon where people's eyes would not register that I was there. They would literally just kind of slide right over me and move on by. And it was quite startling because in the work I do, I'm accustomed to being not slid over. Slid over is not the most common reaction to me being in a room. So I I puzzled about it a little bit, and then then it was COVID. And my friend came over and said that she was bringing me some hair cutting hair clippers at per my request, and she'd thrown in some hair dye in case I felt like dyeing my hair. So I took the the hair dye from London Drugs and made a patch of my hair blue. And all of a sudden, people's eyes didn't slide over me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting. People stopped me on the street all the time to tell me how wonderful they think my hair is. Young, old, white, people of color, Men, women, doesn't matter. And that made me puzzled in a different way. Like what? Yeah, okay. I think it's cool too, but not that cool. And what is it? What's at play here that people are now reacting to me in a really positive manner? And they're both ageism. Like and so the the reaction to the blue haired old lady has to do with and it's an old lady with blue hair. Oh. And I wouldn't have got the same reaction if I was a nineteen year old with, with the same blue patch. It just would not attract the same kind of comments. Because it's unexpected <laughs> that you would have you're running counter to, you're running counter to expectation. Mm-hmm. Um so that and that what that what that story does is illuminate the underlying what do we expect of old people and we expect of old people first of all that they are not seen they're not even even they're not part of the conversation they're not a constituency that we look to then we're not look at me saying they and when i say we in this case what i mean is we white folks, because traditions around age and aging are really different depending on what culture you're in. But for us white folks, once we stop working, 
and thereby kind of showing up in the publicly defined um, credibility space, for want of a better term, then we fall off. The, we just fall off the map. We don't. We don't. We don't matter anymore. As we get frailer, we eventually get warehoused. Then that. So my my other current experience with ageism is my experience with my my lesbian friend who's eighty two, and she has dementia, and she has is now living in assisted living. That's a whole other construction of what do we mean by old or aging or because what we mean is out of sight and out of mind. We mean we pay people to look after old people as opposed to having those people continue to be part of our families in ways that would disrupt our own abilities to make money, for example. And the folks in that assisted living facility are they're treated well, but they're not valued. So ageism, the essence of ageism, like the essence of any oppression, is a disqualification from participation in normal, in the in the kind of the circle of normalcy that you look for, that you look to for 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 credibility or for agency or for those kinds of things. The ageism is like, in some ways, is like the way we treat children because we, and, and again, when I say we, unless I mean, unless I mean otherwise, when I say we, I mean we white folks. We don't uh, give agency or credibility to kids either for the most part. So it's a really interesting thing that you kind of grow into credibility and you grow out of it as you're old. That's something I've personally noticed is something around the time I turned 30, people started respecting me, not because I knew anything more or was any more skilled at whatever it was that they were respecting me for, just purely based off of my age. Suddenly I had the respect of the people around me that didn't exist in my early 20s. And I, I remember being in my early 20s and extremely frustrated that no one was taking me seriously. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you go through this cycle of once you're into sort of prime working life, that is when people respect you and take you seriously. And when you're on either end of that, not so much. Is that, is that kind of what I'm hearing? Um, it certainly is organized around participation in the workforce, in, in paid labor. Um, because if you're not doing paid labor, then you're not a real person. Unem being unemployed is another way to be marginalized. Right. Um, you don't get respect if you're unemployed. It's, and you don't, I mean, it's not, it's not you don't get respect. When I say you don't get respect, I don't mean, oh, they're me being mean to me. I mean something much more profound, which is that you don't get seen. You don't get, you're treated as a problem rather than as a resource. You're treated as um, somebody about which other people will make decisions that will have impacts on. So there's a, a loss of agency involved in that, and that's and that's that's common across oppressions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about sitcoms from the '90s, and anytime someone wasn't working, they're a deadbeat, they're a leech on the system, they're any number of negative connotations associated with the fact that they're not working. 
and people seem to only value you if you're providing value through work as opposed to whatever other forms of value you might be providing to our society. Yeah. You've kind of touched on this already just through your own personal experiences, but uh, usually we try to start our podcast by defining what the topic is. So if you had to define what ageism is, how would you, how would you define that? I would say that ageism is a socially accepted process of exclusion of people who are seen to be, quote, too old, unquote, mm-hmm. and that the social processes of it are really what's, to me, that's what's interesting is how is it that we set it up so that at the end of our lives, what we can more or less expect to be is warehoused. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is that, what an interesting choice that is that we're making because we're all going to end. It's not like that's where we put our parents, but it's not where we're going to go. Oh, so what an interesting choice we've made as a society. Culturally, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the it's the, so ageism are the social practices of exclusion of old people, right? And do you think that's a commonly held belief that I'm putting my parents in a home, but I'm never going to end up there? Um, well, here's the thing: that one of the things about aging is that uh, when you think about aging, pretty soon you have to think about death. And we have, an, we have a culture that is absolutely uh, terrified of thinking about death at all. So the closer that you get to the age where you might be dying, the more those conversations are likely, or you might want to be having those conversations if you're the old person, but younger people don't want to have those conversations. So I frankly, I don't think young people, literally, I literally think they don't think about it. Right, it's too scary of a thought, maybe. So well, it's not even too scary. I mean, it's like it just doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. Is there are societies in the world where death is sort of not necessarily celebrated, but, but you know, you celebrate a person's life, you talk about death frequently from, yeah, uh, you know, with people of all ages. Yep. Um, Including most indigenous cultures. Hmm. Yeah, I was just watching a, a video from uh, Ghana where they were going through these incredible multi-day week-long ceremonies to celebrate the lives of people who died and um there's a lot of sort of tragedy involved people crying but there's also this sense that um we want to make make this process of death uh something that we talk about and that we um spend a lot of time focusing on that we teach our children about and yeah Mm -hmm. is ageism the same as age discrimination well, it's not, I mean, they're different, they're words that relate to different aspects of the same thing, I guess. Age discrimination is a legal concept, and what that means is that you are denied access to uh, goods or services or tenancy um, on the basis that you're of your age. Mm-hmm. Um, ageism is the social a set of cultural beliefs that we all have in we white folks all have in us, which is when you get old, you're not you know you're going to fall off the credibility cliff that we assume that of our grandparents, we treat our grandparents like they're dear or that they're sweet mm-hmm. 
we don't treat them like they're wise right. in our culture. So that's ageism. That's the social construction of what it means to be old right. in this culture is a construction which very seriously disadvantages old people. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that kind of answers this question already, but if you have any other thoughts on it, um, why is ageism a problem? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when I ask that question is a problem for who? Um, it's a problem for old people to the extent that we prefer to continue to participate in society in the ordinary kinds of ways and not in not be relegated to grandma status or like essentially a non-participatory role right it's is it a problem for younger people is it a problem for those for the generation of people whose parents are getting older um in my own parents at the end of their lives uh, required a lot of care and they were determined that they were not going to go into assisted facilities. So that meant that their children needed to provide the kind of day-to-day care that, that they needed. And we were entirely willing to do that. I spent about a year and a half spending a third of every month in Regina. But I mean, though we were willing, it was not set up for us to, like that was not built in any, in any sense of the word. There was, for example, an entirely inadequate uh, support system of home support that might have enabled them to be more independent without having to rely on their kids. Mm-hmm. It means for people who don't have kids, particularly gay, lesbian, trans folk, we are much less likely to have kids who are around to be those caregivers. You hear some horror stories about how poor folks are treated in, in long-term care homes oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Chris Morrissey did a project for community now 10 or 15 years ago, going around to care homes and 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 first inquiring and then educating about what it meant to have elders who are queer, but it, it, ha- it means that for many of us in queer communities, th- uh, the cost of going into assisted living is the cost of going back in the closet. Right. Because not safe. That's such a sad place to be. It's, it's, it's horrible. And if you're queer and you don't have friends in a generation younger than you are, your friends are dying around you and, and are not able are progressively less able to offer mutual support. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the question is, who's this working for exactly? Well, it's working for it's working for this for a culture, a capitalist culture, that values um, economic enterprise above above pretty much anything else, and the ability of workers to show up, fed, clothed, housed, and ready to go without responsibility on the employer for maintaining any of that. Right. And it's a one-at-a-time model, so workers are not really, their families of workers are not visible in that system in any way. I wonder, too, if that is only not a problem in the short term, because I think to the expression, if you don't learn 
from your past, you're destined to repeat it, or however it's phrased. Um, and I think if we're not respecting our elders in our communities and taking the time to learn about their experience, their history, how are we supposed to make sure that we don't go down the wrong path in the future? So if, if we're valuing just that working class of people and no one else, is that sustainable? Well, there's a whole bunch wrong with the model. Um, and, you know, Indigenous peoples teach us that the, the, the frame, the relevant frame is seven generations. Us white folk, we don't, we don't, we literally don't look behind us mm -hmm. to the people who've gone before us. And we don't really look forward. We certainly don't look seven generations into the future when we think, can consider the consequences of our actions. And so that's another illustration of the ways that corporations want you to, you, they want to, they want you shorn of your past and your future. They only want your, your healthy body presence. Thank you very much. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, most of the people I know probably don't know further back than their great-grandparents, maybe grandparents, great-grandparents are probably the last generation that they're very aware of. And, you know, when we, when we talk about looking into the future, clearly that's not something we're doing as a society. No. Since we're, we're not addressing things like climate change. We're which, completely divorced from the earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who does ageism impact? We've talked about how it impacts um, people who've aged out of the workforce. Does it, imp and, and also how it's impacted impacted children, does it impact people who are within the workforce in, in maybe more subtle ways or? Uh, well, it, it, what it does is gives all of us a kind of frame of reference for understanding the world around us, which is limited to our own lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And we don't, I mean, that's appalling. So it's not only ageism that does that. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say ageism therefore x because i think there's a whole lot of other things that are involved in making that so mm -hmm. but nevertheless we have created a culture we white folks have created a culture in which only that brief period maybe from the time you're 20 till the time you're what 65 70 whatever whatever that other end point is can you maybe provide some examples of how ageism impacts people well, it, sure. Um, like any oppression, the first way it impacts people is, is with internalized oppression. Because I grew up in the very same culture as all the rest of the white folks, and I believe of myself that I am less worthy, less um, less worthy of respect, less valuable, less important, less um, more problematic, more of a drain. Um, and so on. And so that, I mean, why did I start dyeing my hair blue? Because I did not like the experience of having people's eyes slide over my face without registering that I was there, literally without registering I was there. And so that, that um, the impact of that kind of exclusion, like the impact of, that's, that's a form of structural violence. And that's, that Structural exclusion also happens to people of color. It happens in many circumstances to women, in almost all circumstances to trans and queer folk. So 
they're the, the 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 mechanics are somewhat different, but the result is the same. So the the consequence of ageism is that it makes old people experience ourselves as less valuable and and certainly not able to lay claim to, for example, wisdom. Right. So you're saying that uh, older people typically are not able to claim that uh, that they are wise when they are because they they have feelings of not being worthy enough? We don't even recognize that we're wise. Mm. Because like everything, wisdom is a social construct. And so... You know, if people if people start coming to me and asking my opinion, then all of a sudden I begin to value my own opinion. If people never come to me and ask me for my opinion, then pretty soon I get the very clear message that my opinion isn't valuable. So it's certainly not wise. So wisdom, like like all of it, is a socially constructed phenomenon. But what we lose in with ageism is we we. We discount, we erase, we devalue the experience of people who've gone ahead of us and what they've got to teach us. Right. And, I mean, thinking about how I view you, I think of a very well-respected lawyer, which, again, is coming back to the profession Mm -hmm. as opposed to the person. So that's that's really interesting to think about. I wonder, like, is there a specific point in time where you just went, this thing happened in my life, like I've retired or whatever it might be, and and so now I'm feeling like I'm not uh, worth as much? Or is it sort of a, a slow progression as you age? You just kind of go, okay, something is, is different. People aren't treating me the same way. Well, actually, the, the, the kind of the... Uh the literally the experience that made me go, hmm, what's going on here was the experience of having people's eyes slide over me. I'm not accustomed to having people's eyes slide over me. (laughs) And uh, that made me know that I was now in a category. I was now viewed as being in a category of, I, I, although I officially retired, I didn't ever actually entirely retire. And so I'm, but I'm pretty sure that my own experience of that question would be really different if I was no longer doing any legal work. Right. Like if I was in fact outside of the working thing that, mm-hmm. and maybe one of the reasons I continue to work is because I don't want to go there. I don't, right. you know, um, and the other thing about getting older is that at various rates and in various ways, our bodies begin to fail. And our bodies begin to fail in ways, I mean, many of my friends are now dying. I'm 73, and I half, statistically speaking, half of the people who die, die before they're 73. So, in some way, I'm now in the, in the diminishing side of the bell curve, if you know right. what I mean. And that's, that the physicality of getting older and dying, which I don't see as being kind of separate things, is an, an an area that the culture just really doesn't want to deal with. You know, just really doesn't. That kind of and warehousing that happens as a response to that phenomenon is, honest to God, 
I mean, what you're doing is you're locking people up mm-hmm. as a solution right. to a social problem. I mean, I guess it's not that the we first got time over that. we've, we've <laughs> used that as a solution when it should really? be. Really? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, isn't that shocking? Mm-hmm. That is exactly what we're doing and choosing to do. When things make us feel uncomfortable, we lock it away. And That's right. Mm-hmm. Out of sight, out of mind, you know? And do you find it challenging? Uh, we've talked about this in some of the podcasts where we'll, we'll talk about discrimination based off of a certain aspect of who a person is. And sometimes if you have overlapping aspects, it can become difficult to figure out why am I being treated differently? Is it because I'm queer? Is it because I'm old? Yeah. Is it because... Yeah. Do you find that challenge when it comes to ageism? Well, in my own life, I do not because uh, my experience was so dramatic. Mm-hmm. And so like, oh, right, I see what's going on here. And like all of the other f- factors of my identity remained the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a control, essentially. Exactly, exactly. I don't have children. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested in the difference between my experience of age-ing and age-ism compared to the experience of people my age who are now grandparents, for example. And because I think that that, I mean, I think ageism plays out differently in family structure, in multi-generational family structures. I think that using my own biological family as an example, as my parents became more infirm, we gradually treated them as being less competent and we gradually took over decision making, doing the driving, you know, not accompanied by, certainly with love, mm-hmm. but not accompanied by a sense of respect that I, I experience in indigenous communities where, um, which I mean, I really would draw a really sharp contrast between the way white folks do it and the way in my experience of indigenous folks, because um, elders are elders are elders, and elders are first. And elders, you go to events, there are always chairs for the elders, and there's always people assigned to make sure the elders are doing okay. And the elders get the best seats, and the elders get tea or water or whatever, and fed first. And uh, honored, and it is an entirely different experience than it is in white culture. Like entirely, I when I I went up to to Morstown one time, and and then this is some while ago now, and somebody somebody said to me, "Auntie, come come sit," and I said, "Oh no, it's fine." Like, and and my my response I noticed was a kind of rejection of my own of the of the I'm old and therefore my my knee jerk reaction was to think that I was being slotted into the incapable old person frame. On the contrary, I was being honored by being named auntie and offered a seat as an among the elders in the room. And that, and that, um, that that recognition is something that kids have. That, like, I mean, it is, it, it is an entirely different cultural construction of 
Right. So it feels very different than, for instance, if you're on a bus and, and someone gets up to offer you their, their seat, that's more of a, this person's not capable because they're older, so they need the seat, as opposed to a, we respect this person and we want them to be placed in a, a seat where they, they can view everything well. Yeah, oh, for sure. I guess this is going to be a very difficult question to answer if, if it's even possible, but what causes ageism? Uh, I guess as like a broad concept, you know, within a society. What it's not difficult at all. Post-colonial capitalism. Mm. Uh, and post-colonial capitalism, as, my, as Dorothy Smith taught me when I was a sociology student, she said capitalists want their workers to show up fed, having had sex, clean and ready to go, and they get sent back home to the service station where generally the woman was responsible for replenishing food, sex, whatever, and sending sending him off again the next day. Mm -hmm. And although that model now includes many more women, I mean, our, our workforce looks way different than it did when I, when I studied with Dorothy Smith, and that was 50 years ago. Uh, and nevertheless, the model of we want we want workers short we want workers to show up shorn of other responsibilities other connections other um commitments other anything is profoundly part of the way we've done our economic and social organizing and so as people age out of that workforce they age out of participation. I mean, if we had a differently organized economic system that was built to take value from and include old people in the circles of knowing and the circles of doing, then we would not have, we certainly wouldn't have ageism as we've constructed it in this culture at this moment. Right. And do you think there are examples of uh, societies that are built on capitalism that don't have these issues of ages? No. No. Not possible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to backtrack on that one because I then my mind went to India or China. And I don't know enough about how, because in both of those countries, I know there to be multi generational family support systems, particularly where um, social services type supports or um, like retirement income, um, old age security, those kinds of things don't exist. And so the family is the site for community care. And so I, I shouldn't speak so quickly because I don't know how ageism plays out in that context uh, in relation to the capitalism that underpins right so the capitalism their, might be leading a society towards ageism but as individuals the people might be able to band together to sort of mm, counter i'm not that. sure i just i just honestly nicola i don't i don't know enough okay. to have yeah. an opinion about that i i i i i know enough to stop myself when i say <laughs> no and, you know no never and then thinking wait a second how do you know and realizing that no in fact i don't know Mm -hmm. And so it would be interesting to look at the ways that ageism manifests in those countries. But yeah. I, I'm not... And maybe I we can know. have a future podcast where we can bring there in people go. from different cultures and, be a good idea. and have that conversation. 
how do you think people can recognize when others are being ageist? Well, it's an interesting question because for the most part, old people are not in the room. So the old people could recognize it, but everyone else is sort of oblivious because the old well, people... They, they, everyone are, there's no old people in the same room as the people who might be oblivious. The people who are in the room, the young people, are, younger people are at work at large. Mm-hmm. Again, any oppression, but in this case, ageism works, is that it's like an erasure of the people outside your <clears throat> your normative field of vision. So it doesn't occur to you to look to, to ask, to to any of those kinds of, do any of those kinds of things. So how to recognize it for, for, to, to the, the, the folks out there who are old like me, I would say, stop thinking that you're the problem or that it's because you are something rather, or you're not something rather enough that, that you're being ignored or excluded or whatever, not taken seriously. And start noticing that this is a social phenomenon of exclusion, like sexism and racism and transphobia and all of the other ways that we um, exclude each other. Right. We're getting close to the end of my questions. Mm -hmm. So is there anything we haven't touched on related to ageism that you wanted to bring up at this point? The question that I would ask, I guess, in relation to ageism is what do we want what do we want the situation to look like here and in canada we have a problem because there's a whole lot of old people and not very many younger people because of the ways that the birth rate slowed there are fewer people to look after the older people than there need to be or then so we're talking would, about the boomer generation aging yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i'm a boomer mm-hmm. um and so there just aren't, there's just not enough bodies. And we see that playing out in healthcare, in education, in all kinds of places. But one of the places it's, it's playing out is it's playing out in, in care for elders. And uh, that means that what we're doing is what we always do, and that is we're importing people from other countries to do that work in ways that have really complicated implications for their own elder care. In other words, Canada has no trouble breaking up families of people who don't live here to bring to this country workers for the period of time that, for whatever purpose, we need workers. So I would would say, you know, folks, we really, we need to be thinking differently about what we want, how we want to be as human beings on the planet. And the that that question has many many dimensions almost all of which we're currently getting wrong so we are we are we 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 white people in particular are like cut off from the land we have no we have no we don't believe that it's relevant to have consciousness of what has gone before or what's going to come next so we're essentially automatons walking on the face of the earth doing destruction. It's a really horrifying image, but it's nevertheless true. Like I, one of the pieces that just I can't, I, I can't get out of my mind is that 
since the time I started law school, which was 1973, and now, 70% of the creatures on the earth are extinct. Wow. Now, drink that in. I don't know how to drink that in. But it's, it's astonishing to me that that isn't our central preoccupation. Mm-hmm. That we that we need to we urgently like as in suicidally need to rethink and reimagine the ways in which we connect with each other and to the earth. Mm-hmm. And unless we do that, we're all we're all going to hell in the handbasket. That's all there is to it. Right. Old, young, and everybody in between. So. It's a much bigger project than what do we do about ageism, particularly. I, um, in terms of how would I imagine elder life in a better way than I am likely to experience it, I would be looking at things like co-housing models where um, there are people of generations who make, different generations who make, make kind of explicit commitments to the community that we're all going to look after each other mm-hmm. and that elders would continue to have a valuable role in that process. There are some there are some interesting examples already. For example, that in some care homes, people have combined care for the elderly and daycare mm-hmm. so that little nice. the little ones come to the elders home care home and the and are cared for by the elders who are there to the to the demonstrable benefit of everybody of the kids of the elders of the because the kids get you know loving attention and and life lessons and the elders get the joy of connecting with kids who need them be, and being needed actually i always i always don't like people who 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 say doom and gloom things like we're heading to hell in a handbasket without acknowledging that there are also ways that we can cultivate different kinds of models that will move us forward in a healthier and more um sensible connect sensibly connected ways what I would invite people to do is to, is to reflect on who in your own life is old. And I don't care what you mean by old, actually. If you're 20 and you think old is anybody over 40, go for it. Um, but what do you think about old? What, 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 how does that play for you in terms of the value that you ascribe to that person or the respect that you have for them. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where do you look for life lessons? Like where, to whom do you look when you think about wanting somebody wiser than you, somebody who has, and we you know we have mentors, for example, those are that's one model, but uh, always, like any oppression, one of the way we start is we start by acknowledging that yep, we all grew up. We white folks, we all grew up with this model of of 
aging and old age and this is a culturally pervasive idea that it's not anybody's individual fault. Mm-hmm. However, if we continue to enact it, once we figure that out, if we continue to, to behave in the ways of ageism, then it becomes our responsibility. It's not our fault that we were brought up with an in-ageist culture, but it's our responsibility to work against it. Right. Whether we're young or older, somewhere in between. Mm. Uh, I think that I I I think that the question of ageism is, as I said earlier, completely bound up with our cultural ideas about death and dying, and our and our like um, ridiculous cultural assumption that we're going to live forever, mm-hmm. that we have to always look young, all of those kinds of like. Because those are also parts of those are also pieces of ageism, mm-hmm. um, and that I I I really do believe this to be true. Until we make friends with death, we're going to keep killing the earth. Right. Interesting. Um, now you mentioned a little while ago about how you're part of the uh, boomer generation. What is your response to the, I don't know if it's quite as much of a trend anymore, but for a little while there, OK Boomer was popping up all over social media. What would your response to that be? Missed it. You missed it. Okay. Yeah, what, what, so what was it? A kind of like, they're there? It was they're a, their old person? Well, it was a very dismissive comment, and it was primarily related to people's anger about the ways that the boomer generation destroyed the planet, I right. think. So looking at... Uh, someone from your generation who's saying this is how the world should operate and then the kids going hold on a second you screwed the world up so we're not going to listen to you um and it was just a very dismissive okay boomer and in my mind it's, it's it's tricky because in a lot of ways it's it's a justified response mm-hmm. and at the same time it also plays into that piece of ageism and uh you know older people being dismissed and not seen both things are true. Mm-hmm. And um, it is really true that it's my generation that has most particularly di- directly messed up the planet. Um, it's not that the individuals in my generation individually thought, okay, let's see how much damage we can do this before we're too old to, before we're on canes and crutches. Mm-hmm. But rather that we were, and and this is really important to understand, that we were enacting a social and economic system. International corporate capitalism requires, requires exploitive, exploitive practices. That that's otherwise. I mean, endless growth is the premise of capitalism. So. Yes, it happened in our generation. Yes, we were the ones who did it and didn't were not successful in interrupting it. But that uh, that idea remains unchallenged if what you say is okay, boomer, mm-hmm. because it's it's those um those ways of organizing the economic and social world 
that have the consequence of, first, first of all, multi-billionaires, and on the one hand, and destroyed planet on the other. So there is something deeply, deeply, deeply messed up about the ways in which we think about human connection to, to the earth, to productive activity, to connecting together, to supporting each other, all of those things need to change. All of those, both ideas and practices need to change. And I think to your point about it not necessarily being a concerted effort to damage the planet, it, it, it sounds like it was more f coming from a place of ignorance um, for a lot of people, right? Like these corporations, you know, oil and gas companies, whatever it is, are destroying the planet, but everyone else is sort of going along with it because they're ignorant to all of the issues that are being caused. And I imagine that's still going on today. There's probably tons of things happening right now that we're all ignorant to. And in 20, 30, 40 years, we're going to find out you were part of the problem. <laughs> and mm -hmm. people are going to say, okay, millennial to me, right? In the future, that's probably going to happen. Um, so I guess, I don't know if there's a question in there, but um, at some point you have to break that cycle, right? Well, I have a reflection on there. And that is that the, I, re I read Rachel Carson when I was in high school and was astonished at what she signaled was coming for the planet. I read Joanna Macy in the 80s and thought, Oh my God. Like, and I have been talking about it and what I've ever since. And what's interesting to me is in the 80s, when I talked about it, people would just kind of look at me blankly. Today, if I see somebody says it's a beautiful day out and I say, Yeah, but climate change, they go, Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. So I understand that. that. Um, there are a whole bunch of factors that play into that. The first is that in the way we've got things set up at the moment, we have corporations as the machines of economic activity. Corporations have a reporting period every quarter, like every three months. They, they look at their performance over, over a period of three months, and they're supposed to be making more. And, and the litmus is, are you making more money? There is, there has been almost no way, for, I mean, cor corporations have a legal duty to their shareholders, a, a legal duty to do that. Mm -hmm. So within that structure, there's almost no way to think about the planet as, as anything but a source of more oil or more whatever. Right. That, that whole baked in, economic organization made it impossible to think about those questions, literally. And then they become too big to fail, and the government decides to subsidize them and bail that them too. out. <laughs> that too. I'm by no means the first person to, to say there are fundamental and soul-destroying and people-killing problems with capitalism, corporate capitalism. Don't and even think I won't you're the first the person on this podcast. I won't to be say the last. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it and 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 honestly, I you know, 
one of the things about being an old person is I, f I feel like, and I say to my old friends, we're not going to be around to see this play out. What a mess. And, and what a tragedy for the, for the young ones coming behind us. That's not about ageism exactly. That's about aging. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, and I mean, I think it does play into ageism a little bit on the other end of the spectrum too, where kids today are seeing their lives being threatened imminently. Yeah. They're saying, I'm not going to make it yeah. to my old age anymore unless we change something. And, and they're taking on, and, or even drastic, if we do, even if we do, but yeah. um, they're taking on sort of these drastic actions to try to get people's attention. And yeah. they're, because they're kids, they're just being dismissed as you don't know what you're talking about yeah. or wait until you're an adult and then you can do whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah. And it's just an excuse to not do anything in the meantime. Anyways, <laughs> that brings us to my last question, which is for people who want to go out and advocate to make this issue better. So I don't know if that means ending ageism. That seems like a very lofty goal. But uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to advocate to make the world a better place when it comes to ageism? Well, to the old people, I would say don't stop participating. Don't, don't take on the idea that you aren't, you don't have things that are valuable to say. Get on with it, I guess, in some some sense. Mm -hmm. To the younger people, I I think I said this. That is, think about the world. Think about how the world you want to live in. How you're going to connect to the people in your bio family, your your chosen family. Think about ways that are that you can create robust ways to look after each other, because. Although in in Canada we are least likely in probably in the world to be immediately disastrously impacted by climate change, there's no such thing as climate security anymore. And so we need to be teach learning and teaching from each other in ways that are like actively. I mean, for for each of us, it's always the challenge of okay. So how do you want to be? What do you want to be saying to yourself at the end of your life? Given that this is the challenge we're up against, how are you going to deal? Mm -hmm. And what do you want your old age to look like? And talk to your elders. Thank you so much for joining me today to have this conversation. I hope that our audience has learned something from this. I've definitely learned a lot from speaking with you and um, I've all the more reason to respect you now besides <laughs> your career. Um, so with that, this has been a social justice podcast. I'm Nicholas Sperling, your host. And my I'm guest Barbara has been, Finley. there you go. Still. Still Barbara Finley. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye for now. You've been listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by the flag shop and inspired by a social justice coloring book.